In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Inglestad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here, as always, with my co-host, advocate, and super rad, gnarly skate bro, Mike Graham. What's going on, dude, man? I'm just going to be ripping these grips and waxing on the sides, man. And I'm going to do like a front side K grind, uh, kick flip out, and then I'm going to nollie heel flip into a manual down the side. It's going to be so, so rad. All right. Now that we've alienated 90% of our listeners. <laughs> I can keep going. <laughs> please don't. That's enough. Okay. We, we, That's my skate knowledge, guys. <laughs> referencing skate knowledge as a clue to what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. But before right. we get to that, Mike, there was an article that, as an advocate and someone who's been open about his uh, mental health adventures through the years, I thought I would try to get your your reaction, your thoughts about this article, about some things that are happening in California. Fires. Uh, there are fires, but there are also some um, some technology uh, attempts at helping people who struggle with mental health issues. Oh, okay. Using technology. All right. Well, that makes sense to do that. It was a wet year, so there was less fires. So we should concentrate on something else. That's right. So, Mike, California is testing a mental health app. What this app does is it tracks everything patients do on their cell phones. Hmm. In an effort to both give them and their uh, provider a feedback on sort of how they're using their technology or the Internet or social media. So I wanted to get some some thoughts from you on how you would feel about being monitored to that extent. Is that something that you would sign up for? Well, OK, so first off, the, the, it's for uh, mental health patients, right? Yes. And the tie to the company is the fact that what they're paying for them to make it. So they're giving them product feedback as well as they're doing a study. Yeah, basically. So um, MindStrong, which is a mood predicting app and uh, Seven Cups, which is an online therapy service, have been working with state officials on this system in which patients can install a keyboard onto their phones, which tracks all of their screen activity. Okay. I would sign up for this in like a study or even there's probably apps out there that are that are similar that can help you with that. But just to like give you an idea, a reality of what you do on your phone and how much time you spend on it, because I mean, we make a podcast and we live in separate states. Yep. And so there's a ton of work there. So we have to be I use my phone a lot for that. But then there's other things going on. You use your phone for that. And it's like before you know it. You've wasted, all, maybe not wasted, but you could look back and see, was that time wasted or was I using it productively while on my phone, I guess? Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I think this is a service that I'm sort of curious in for myself, you know, and I, I admittedly have dealt with more minor uh, bouts of low mood or anxiety. But I think this, even just this idea of 
sort of tracking your your internet use or your technology use, I think could give people a lot of useful feedback about not just how they're using their time, but are they coping in a healthy way? So to, mm, to yeah. as an example, this this app or this service can sort of get a member's baseline for how they're using their phone or their technology within like a week of data, let's say. So you use your oh, phone wow. for a week, it tracks it. And then after that week, now it can tell when there are instances of what they call divergent behavior. So if you're spending more time on social media or if oh, you're wow. spending more time on YouTube, um, it will alert both you and if I guess if you opt in your mental health provider. Oh, OK. You, when you said provider earlier, I thought you meant your cell phone provider. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. You're <laughs> like your therapist or your psychiatrist okay. or whoever is working with you. Because, uh, you know, as someone who has bipolar, when I get into certain moods that I know are, are if I'm going up, especially I'll start doing stuff that I'm not normally doing or more of it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of what I was thinking for you is that like, you know, in, in a, an up phase where you might be doing more things and you might need that sort of notification to be like, oh, that's interesting. I've spent, you know, two hours on Reddit, you know, or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Making a murderer subreddit. Yeah, sure. And that that would be a good notification to be like, oh, OK, now okay. I'm, I'm getting more. It could be like a tornado warning, you know. Sure, exactly. And that's useful information for anybody. Because all we have right now is is uh, signs. And you yeah. and your family yeah. have to see them. That's right. Right. And That's that can right. be hard. Yeah. So obviously there are concerns like uh, privacy and things like this with any technology progression. But I think this is for me, it's a hopeful sign that um, we can use technology for good. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that's that. Yeah. So that's what's in the news. Um, and that leads yeah. us to what we're talking about today. That's right. Because uh, we're going back to a time when there wasn't a lot of technology and that's the 90s but before we do that we do want to say that uh if anyone wants to join our mental health support and chat group we'd love to have you come on over go to facebook and go to the search bar and type in pop psych 101 mental health chat and also if you're reading the show notes in your podcast app today go to the very bottom and there is a link there that says you can help support our podcast with a small monthly donation that just helps us keep doing this. We would always appreciate that. Um, obviously not necessary, but with that, let's get into it. Let's do it. You all right? You don't look all right. I just can't take this shit sometimes. What kind of shit? Just shit. A lot of the time, we feel like our lives are the worst. But I think if you looked at anybody else's closet, you wouldn't trade your shit for their shit. Like, look at fourth grade. He is one of the poorest people I know. And I'm not even making a joke though. Like he could barely afford socks. Seriously. Socks. Ruben's mom gets all fucked up. She just beats on him and his sister. Why you think he'll never want to go home? Fuck shit is like my best friend. And like, 
we used to have all these sleepovers and fucking just dream about skating and where we want to take it. I just feel like he's kind of like losing it a little or something. Now every day he's just trying to figure out where to party, where to get fucked up, drunk. It's sad. Stevie is a 13-year-old boy growing up in the 1990s Los Angeles area. He seems like a sweet and kind kid, and he is, but he's also angry and lonely and physically abused by his older brother, Ian. Stevie is looking for friends, and he finds them in a group of rowdy teens down at the local skate shop. He immediately wants to be like them and buys himself a board with stolen money from his mom's drawer. His new friends nickname him Sunburn, and they all start to get closer to each other. However, in between all of this good fun, we see the dark side to Stevie's life as well. He continues to get pummeled by his brother, he's filled with anger, and takes that out on himself with pain. He also starts smoking and partying. There's a lot to be said to the loyalty he finds in his friends. And we do see him grow throughout the summer, but we don't land in a happily ever after place. We end in the hospital after a drunk driving accident where Stevie was hurt. Nonetheless, friends by his side, destined to continue on in the same place we started. So, Mike, before we get into our discussion of mid-90s, I want to give a quick, I guess, trigger warning um, for self-harm, but also just a general warning for vulgar language. It's going to be difficult for us to talk about this without... Uh, using some language that we wouldn't yeah, ordinarily explicit use. Explicit content. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this movie has a lot of um, uh, bad words in it, but the main thing is is that they name some characters bad words. So yes. we're going to have to say those a few times. And um, and so, yeah, so we'll be marking this episode explicit, but also the, the self-harm stuff as well. Yes. So if you have kids in the car... Heads up. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> Mike, uh, yeah. So uh, before we started recording, you and I uh, both admitted that this is a movie that hits home for us for lots of different reasons. Um, not necessarily for the mental health aspects depicted, but more right. because of the just the kind of culture and the kind of um, the vibes. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It was I was a skater. Man, I was just nailing this in my mind that it was like 98. Okay, interesting. That, that's just where I put it because okay. I was like, this kid's the same age as I was in 98 because all the same shirts and skateboards were there and like yeah. just felt that same way. And so, yeah, I was just like super nostalgic watching this movie. Yeah, so we have Stevie who's 12. He's 13. 13. So we have uh, Stevie, who is 13, um, and let's just say 98. And yeah, I would be, I would have been right around that age as well. So watching, for me, it was it was just really interesting. Like, I don't know that I necessarily would have uh, fallen in with this particular crew, but I was on the outskirts of it. I wasn't that far removed. So Were you, were you fourth grade? Um, in this group? Yeah. No, no, it's funny. It's funny that you asked that. So, and, and we're going to get through all this stuff. But okay, we're going to get me, into that. By the way, fourth grade is a character yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was confusing. Yeah. No, so for me, uh, there's a an, an early on scene when Stevie is sort of getting initiated into the group and they're trespassing on some sort of school property. Yeah. Um, and a uh, security guard 
comes over and tries to like scare him out because he's obviously not a real cop and they identify that. And when he's confronting them, Stevie sort of sort of makes a move to to go listen to the security guard. Yeah, he was he was conflicted about it. Yeah. So if I was in this movie, I was Stevie in that moment. Like, oh, my God, the <laughs> cops are here. I, I have to listen to the cops. And then, honestly, at that age, I probably would have been like, guys, I'm sorry. I can't get in trouble with the cops. I got I to gotta go home. So I would have been the version of Stevie uh, when this movie ended very quickly because I went home and told my mom I got in trouble and then never saw those kids again. Well, that that probably would have been better than some of the rest of the well, stuff. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah, but yeah, so so yes, yeah, so you and I both can relate to this movie on a lot of different reasons. Uh, we're gonna get into more of the big picture stuff of it in the second half. But yeah, so let's get into the plot of this because I think there's a lot of interesting um, aspects in terms of how Stevie, in a lot of ways, like matures very quickly. Yeah, yeah, he he definitely like he grows up in his mind like a couple of years. So mm-hmm. he, we start off before even getting to know Stevie. The first thing that happens in this movie, and it's it's a total shocker, is you're looking down a hallway, and that's all you see is a hallway, and coming out of one of the rooms is a little boy who's just been thrown out of the room violently into the wall. And he lands on the ground, and then a big older person comes out and just starts beating him. And they even for, went the for extra no, mile. Yeah, for no apparent reason or purpose that we can tell. Right, yeah, and... Which I don't think there would be anyway, but a, of course, yeah, there's no justifiable reason, of course. But yeah, they even did went the extra mile and added like those really like gross sounding punches. Yeah. Like you're punching a meat bag or something. Yep. Yeah. And I told Ryan, we were texting about this, like I almost turned it off. I was like, this is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I relate to that in that way, but just thinking about like even my own son getting Oh, eat sure. up and stuff it just yeah. it really struck a really hard chord and i don't know if it did for you yeah it's interesting um i had listened to an interview with jonah hill about this movie before watching the movie so i was prepared for that particular scene just in happenstance so i knew that was coming but it didn't take away like the emotional impact of okay you know it it from the start identifies that this kid Stevie is coming from a difficult home life yeah you know we don't get a lot of background and correct me if I'm wrong um do we know where his dad is if he has a dad we never find out about the dad yeah so dad's at least not in the picture as far as we know whether he's abandoned them or has passed away for some reason we don't know but he's not there Right. And it feels a lot like a divorce or an abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. So single mom, two boys and, you know, no clear reason why. But the older brother, Ian, is is abusive to Stevie. And and this is not the only time. This is not the only time. And and at first, when I almost turned it off, um, I think the main reason, which is really strange to me with my feelings here about it, was I thought it was his father beating him at first because it's like that dark hallway. Yeah. And then when I found out it was his, actually his brother shortly thereafter, I was like, okay, I can handle that. Well, so that's so interesting, right? Because somehow brothers beating each other up is just like, oh, you know, it's almost like the boys will be boys thing. It's just like, all right, well, that's more normal. Like that's, that's more acceptable. That's more, but this is not like friendly roughhousing. This is not, no, this is a, these are beatings. This is abuse. I mean, this is borderline assault if, if, you know, cops showed up. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but right after that, uh, you don't meet the mom for a while, but you hear the brother and the mom cursing at each other in the next room. And, and that's basically all we see in the first scene. But what we do learn about Stevie right at the get-go coming up in the next scene is that he's a, he's a really kind kid. He's got um, a sweet smile and he's, he's looking to be loved, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, also in these early scenes, we start to see some of the 90s references. But we also see very clearly that even though Stevie's brother treats him terribly, he kind of idolizes him. I mean, he sees the brother's CDs and shoes and clothes and posters. And it's like, is that what it's like to be almost a man to be, you know, a person who's got it all together. Yeah. So, you know, he starts to get into skating and he, he pulls all these magazine pictures out and he starts changing the music he's listening to. And it's just interesting to see him try to figure out what it, what he's, who he's supposed to be basically. Yeah. I caught on to that too, with him kind of idolizing his brother. Yeah. Even with the beatings and stuff, mm-hmm. he, like you said, he went through those CDs and, and that next scene um, has a couple of things in it. And one of them was, Stevie went through all those CDs and wrote down every single name of every single CD. And there, there's like a hundred at least. Yeah, that brought back, back some memories for me too. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and uh, so he could get him one that he didn't have. Right. And he and his brother at the dinner table, they're out to eat, rejects the present. Like, right. No thank you, no yeah. acknowledgement, yeah. And this is when we find out that uh, the mom's single and Ian's only 18 years old. Yeah, that's his family situation. And his mom's talking about her current crush, mm-hmm. right? Which is fine to have. Oh, sure. Um, but that's that's what he's dealing with. Um, but but he's looking for love. He's looking for acceptance. And he very shortly thereafter, I think, um, fi- like kind of zones in on the people he decides are the people he wants to be around. Yes. He sees these skaters that hang around and they're having goofy good time. And he just wants to be like them. So just from watching the skaters, and this is what you were talking about, Ryan, he immediately decided, I want to be like those guys so I can fit in. And he went home and he changed all the posters in his room, gets an old 80s skateboard and starts practicing skating. That's right. So I guess my big question around this time is we know that he's getting beat by his brother. We don't know how often, but it's happening. We can already tell just from movie tropes that mom is not super around, um, so he's lonely and stuff. But for a young kid like that and how impressionable they are, is somebody like making a choice like that, that I'm going to be this person, is that a realistic thing? I think for that age, absolutely. You know, it's the sort of typical thing of like going through a phase but for me, anytime you hear a parent say something like that, it's it's not so much that a kid is going through a phrase as is as they are exploring aspects of their own personality, exploring their own interests. And from that perspective, it's always a very healthy thing for me. I would much rather hear that a kid is trying something new or trying to be someone or or exploring, you know, things that they want to try, learning a new skill than just isolating, which for someone who's being abused at home, it would be easy for him to just isolate. Yeah. in his room and kind of never explore the outside world. So the fact to me that that he's doing this is is a huge positive sign. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, then to, to go further with that, what does it say for him that he, it's not like he met these kids yet, you know? Correct. That these are strangers and he's decided to switch things around for strangers. I mean, does that say something different? 
Well, so you mentioned he's he's looking for sort of acceptance for for validation. You know, he clearly does not feel that acceptance and validation in his own home. You know, he clearly has a pretty decent relationship with his mom. I think, you know, later on in the movie, she makes reference of them being closer and they used to talk more and all these sorts of things. But, you know, for a 13 year old um, boy, I would say it's pretty typical that they go through this sort of independent stage. So the fact that he's sort of trying to change himself for people he's never met. I, I mean, it, I guess my feelings are, is that this it's, it's, it's not that unusual. And on its own, I'm not concerned about it. The, my concerns come much later. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the sort of development of these relationships. Yeah, definitely. And and he does create a relationship with uh, the skate kids. He kind of does one of those. He goes into the shop and he just hangs around until he's just kind of there with them. So they're like, oh, I guess you're just standing next to us now all the time. Yep, you're here. Right. But he's uh, he meets a kid named Ruben who immediately tries to take on like a mentor role with him and like gets him to smoke a cigarette and tells him how cool he is. <laughs> it's like how badass I am. Yeah, it's funny. I, I my impression of Ruben was more that it's like, oh, here's a kid that doesn't know anything. I bet he'll idolize even me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I can I can make up stuff about myself that he doesn't know, but that he can be impressed by. Yeah, I can impress somebody. Yeah, and we start to see these really unfortunate portrayals of what young men feel masculinity is. Yeah, we do. We're going to talk about this more in a, in a broader sense in the second half, but, you know, for this immediate relationship where Stevie is accepted, but also now sort of placed on the lowest rung on the totem pole yep. um, of this group that... While Ruben is quote unquote teaching him, he's also like immediately putting him down and like making sure he knows where he stands. Yeah, absolutely. He has to know he's on the bottom. And, and Stevie knows it too. Like he's eager to help the skaters. Like they need water and he's running to get it because he yep. just, in my mind, yep. what I'm thinking is he just wants to be accepted. And that just kept striking me hard because it just made me sadder and sadder for Stevie because I was just like, he he's so lonely. Yeah, you know, totally fair. That he had to reach out, and I'm happy that he, you know, had the courage to do it. But it just was a little sad. But yeah, so he he meets the whole gang, and he's eager to help them out. One thing we do find out in that scene, though, is that Ruben waits until his mom goes home to go to bed, which is kind of like a foreshadowing thing that we find out. Ruben is a lot like Stevie and has bad home life. Yeah, so actually, all of these kids in this group have uh, various sort of like personal things going on. Yeah, they, they do. But what ends up happening is now that he's in the group, he knows, and they made fun of his 80 skateboard, right? So mm -hmm. he knows he's got to get a better skateboard, but they cost $40. He doesn't know where $40 is, so he goes to his brother Ian, who knows where $80 is, and that's in their mom's drawer. But Ian won't take it. He says that Stevie has to take it and give him the money. So that way, I guess, to not feel guilty... I guess <laughs> to me that almost felt like, well, mom likes you more or is more likely to let you off the hook. So if you take it, I'm not going to get in trouble. Yeah. It's a very kid way yeah. to think about things. Yeah. Very sibling thing. Yeah. Well, Stevie does take it because he he's searching for that acceptance. Wants that skateboard. Yeah. He, and, well, he wants that skateboard. And so he does take it. But what happens here, and I think this is a place to stop, is um, he takes it. And he sets it down and you can tell his feelings are really conflicted. And I don't know what he was feeling, 
because we see this come out again later in the movie and it was anger then. So I don't know if he's feeling angry at himself, but before he puts the money in his pocket, he sets it down, he pulls his pants down and he grabs his mom's hairbrush and then just violently rubs it on his thigh for like 30 seconds. And he's like, you know, wincing in pain. Yep. And so, I mean, he's hurting himself. And I don't know anything about self-harm or the reasons for it or if Stevie's presenting any signs that are like you could have been like, yeah, this is going to be somebody that's going to harm themselves. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, what we in uh, mental health world call this is non-suicidal self-injury. So he's not a kid who, as far as we can tell, wants to die or is is trying to um, hurt himself to the point of hospitalization or, or you know, serious medical issues, although that perhaps comes later. But it's it's clear enough that this is a behavior that is intending to cause himself pain. So typically, from my perspective, this behavior can happen when they are experiencing an emotion, sometimes a new emotion or just a, a newly intense emotion that they're uncomfortable with and they want to feel something else. Mm. And for Stevie, all he knows sort of outside of typical kid emotions is like pain from his older brother. Yeah. There's probably some sort of pain from his dad, whether that's just abandonment or absence. There's something yeah. there, right? So it's, oh, I'm feeling guilt, right, for just having stolen money from my mom, who I probably love and have a good relationship with, and I don't want to feel guilty, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in myself, so I, you know, punish myself, or I do this thing that temporarily makes me feel bad, but will also help me not feel what I was feeling, which is the guilt and the anger. Yeah, and they kind of set it up to where it looked like this wasn't his first go around with it. It was like he immediately knew what to do as soon as like he was like, ah, oh, and he went for that brush. Yep. And that's that's why this would be it would fit in this diagnosis, because it sort of covers a couple of the things we would look for with non-suicidal self-injury. One is what we would think of as negative feelings or thoughts occurring in the period immediately prior to the self-injurious act. So as I said before, you know, there's definitely some guilt here, anger, um, maybe even anxiety or tension about what if I get caught, right? And then there's sort of prior to engaging in the act, a period of, you know, kind of thinking about what he is going to do. So he kind of pulls yeah. out the brush, you know, as you said, he pulls his shorts down. So it's it's this very intentional act, right? And now we don't know how frequently this urge happens for him, although the fact that he does it later on in the movie indicates that this is at least a an Once occasional. A yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then this activity, as I said, is engaged with with a purpose. He's doing this to help him feel, quote-unquote, better or different or just, you know, uh, some sense of relief in some cases for people. Right, and and not to stop here too long, no, but it's okay. this yeah, yeah. just a subject I don't know a lot about, mm -hmm. uh, self-harm. Um, and, and fortunately, like, thank goodness, you right. know, because um, it can't be pleasant. Is, is this something that affects, like... Diagnosis across the board. Okay, let's say like like a bipolar person or a person with depression can like every single one of these people do, do the self harm thing as well. And then also like maybe people that don't have diagnosis, but they all they do is self harm. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, because for me, there's a there's a spectrum to it. There is what we would consider borderline lethal self harm, 
where it might as well be uh, what we would consider a suicide attempt or suicidal mm. behavior. And then, you know, and, and people feel differently about this kind of stuff. But on the lowest end of self-harm, you see stuff like um, biting your nails. Um, for a lot of people, it's like that pain of getting that nail finally off your skin and it bleeds a little bit. Or um, trichotillomania, which is just a fancy word for hair pulling. You know, behaviors like that, while they might, uh, for the person who suffers from those things, they might not be thinking about it as self-harm, is causing this sort of uh, relationship with pain and relationship with emotion and and an attempt to cope that is bordering on self-harm, right? Oh, wow. So, so yeah, so from that view, if that's the view we take on what it is, then yes, it's probably more common than people give it credit for. Yeah. You know, I, I've worked with, and it's, you know, obviously we're talking about boys in particular today, you know, a common one, even for young boys, I've worked with kids as young as, you know, eight, nine, 10 is like head banging or punching themselves in the head or hitting themselves in the head. Oh yeah. And that can be a sign of a lot of different things, but it's also a form of self-harm, right? Where it's like something's happening that's causing them to do this themselves. Wow. Wow. Okay. So moving on, we have couple of scenes that kind of combine themselves together. And to me, these speak to a lot of fitting in and influence. Mm -hmm. And so we get back to the skate shop and they're kind of just, you know, joking around and having these fun conversations. And, and uh, Stevie says something that, which is actually him responding in a really naive way to this question. Yes. There's a black guy and somebody asks him Ray, yep. if he can be sunburned. Ray, and he's like the leader of the pack, by the way. Yes, he is the most skilled skateboarder and probably the most mature easily of yeah, the, uh, we should, of the group. We should probably go down the list because they're all pretty important. Sure, we have, yeah, yeah. We have Ray, the, the main most skilled skateboarder. Then you have uh, Fuck Shit is the name and mm -hmm. the second most skilled skateboarder and best friends with Ray. Then you have Fourth Grade, who's just kind of like their videographer. Then you have Ruben who's pretty young, but a couple years older than Stevie. And then mm -hmm. now you have Stevie. Yes. So there's your, your group of guys hanging out all the time. Yep. Um, but this is the scene where fourth grade, uh, who's a white guy, asks Ray, who's a black guy, if black people can be sunburned. And then they all just laugh at fourth grade and tell him how dumb he is and stuff. And then they say, Stevie, what do you think? And he said, uh, what are black people? Right. And they all laughed and went, oh, what a great response. And then they start calling him Sunburn. So he got a nickname. Yes, so he he's, did. he's in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Ruben is jealous. Because Ruben doesn't have a nickname. And, and, and then a scene later, Stevie even asks Ruben, you know, who doesn't have, why, don't, why doesn't everybody have nicknames, right? Yeah. So it's, it's immediately creating this sort of rivalry between them of, you know, who's, almost like the mascot of the group, if we're being honest. Yep. And who's just like, who's actually the lowest on the totem pole? Yep, yep. And so that's how he gets to fit in. Um, but then we see influence starting happen to him. Ruben shows him that he can pee wherever he wants because he asks him, I need to go pee. Ruben's like, you just pee right here. Yep. <laughs> and and then uh, the big scene that you were talking about earlier, the, the cops scene, the rent-a-cop comes up and there's this moment and I, I, it struck me as like the moment for Stevie. Yeah, I agree. The, the rent-a-cop is saying, get back over this fence. But the mm -hmm. friends are saying, no, Stevie, don't. Yep. And he goes back and forth until he two, chooses. Two roads the, diverged. <laughs> yeah, and, and he chooses the friends. So Yes. So now we know where Stevie stands. But then we get into the next big part, which is. Yeah, things start to escalate. Yeah. Yeah. 
things start to escalate and we find uh, Stevie's mom finds out he stole the money or finds out Ian stole the money. And Ian says, well, Stevie stole the money. And she asks, well, did you have a part in this? And he says, no. Yep. Lies. And so Stevie goes to bed and Ian comes in, in the middle of the night and, and she starts punching him right in the face. And, and he tells him, he says, you better be quiet. And then he leaves. And then my question here is, like, what's happening with Ian? Like, why is he doing to, this li- to his little brother? You know, it, they show yeah. signs throughout the movie that he loves him. Yeah. And he's beating the crap out of him. So we don't have a full picture. I'm, if, if we were to do a little overanalyzing, you know, we know the dad is absent, is, not, is missing wherever the dad is. So Ian, at some point, went from being, you know, the oldest son to ostensibly the man of the house. And he, he does not have a male role model. He does not have, you know, his mom obviously has to serve both the roles of, of nurturer and disciplinarian and all these different things. And so obviously she's working because I think the very 90s thing was just like, these kids are just out of the house at all hours <laughs> and with no consequences or, you know, parental uh, awareness or guidance. That's not, which... that's not, not realistic though. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I, I, I thought it was hilarious because it was like, yeah, no, that's what it was like for me too. <laughs> yeah. I was like weeks. I wouldn't go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were like uh, very light references to be home when the streetlights come on. But yeah, other than that, you know, it was pretty loose. So I thought that was funny, but, but yeah, so you asked what, what, what's going on with Ian and, you know, we don't really know. Um, I think as much as we know is there's like an anger management problem and, you know, there's an issue with him coping with whatever the loss of the father is or was. And the way that he's coping with that is, you know, really abusive behavior towards his little brother. And it's interesting because even though these abusive things happen, they still like play video games together. They still yeah. talk to each other. Out. Yeah. So that's, that's the really difficult aspect of this for me is that, you know, let's say I was uh, Stevie's therapist, right? Which is not out of the realm of possibility. You know, if his mom, whatever, caught him smoking cigarettes and caught him lying and felt like he was getting in with the wrong crowd. You know, this is the kind of situation where mom might bring their kid in to get some help. Not in the 90s, unfortunately, but maybe today. (laughs) Okay, yeah. If Stevie told me that his older brother was beating him senseless, what, once a week? Yeah, it seems like. My first call would be to the mom. Does mom know that this is happening? The second call, if, and now, now see, this is where it gets interesting, is that, you know, Stevie would probably deny feeling like he was in danger. You know, he would probably tell him that he has, tell me that he doesn't want anything to happen to his brother and that everything's fine. But this is an abusive household. Mm-hmm. So it gets really, really close to, you know, what what back then might have been a call to DIFUS, you know, Division of Youth and Family Services, what now is Division of... Geez, Child Protective just, Services? Um, CPS? Yeah, CPS. Or, yeah, it's different in every state. But yeah, basically. So it gets really close to a situation where, you know, we have to make a call and, you know, and, and a social worker or somebody would have to go to the house and and investigate. Yeah. And that is is a really scary situation, not just for a family, but, you know, a therapist has to be judicious and sort of making that call because the first priority is the safety of the child. In this case, it would be Stevie. As a therapist, you're like, I I don't want to make this a wrong call. Right. Right. Because, you know, what can happen is 
Stevie could get removed from the house. And then what? He's in foster care. And, and you know, is that a better situation? So it's just all these things where, you know, we don't have the luxury of asking those questions. A lot of times it's just mandated reporting. So you went over, you kind of grazed over a couple of things, mm -hmm. but because we don't know a lot about Ian and his actual motivation for yeah. uh, exacting his physical anger onto his younger brother. Yep. Uh, as an example, if, if you've seen that in real life, what are, what are the realistic, like, what does that realistically look like? Why is somebody realistically doing that? Yeah. So, you know, just to make up a scenario, let's say dad uh, left the family, abandoned them, or there was a messy divorce, right? Maybe dad, you know, if I'm being honest, if it, we, we sort of did an overanalyzing assumption here, it's that dad was probably abusive, either yeah. to Ian or to the mom or both. So the example that was probably set for Ian at a young age was, you know, this is how we express our anger is essentially through physical aggression and, and controlling the people who can be controlled around you, which is a really sad and, and frankly yeah. scary thing. But that's, you know, I would say typically the scenario that I would see is, you know, if someone's acting in this way, it's they are projecting anger onto a person that they are not threatened by, essentially, yeah. that they feel safe, which is this is going to feel like kind of screwed up, but like Ian probably feels safe expressing his anger in this way because ultimately there are no consequences for it. Wow. And what about the the victim? What about somebody like Stevie? Yeah. Like, what does that do to them? Like you said earlier that you were kind of happy to see him getting out and trying to do all these other things because, you know, normally or something, people are locking themselves in a room. But how does that, and I'm not talking parents, like take the parental abuse out. Yeah, but like yeah, a Sibling yeah. abuse like this. Like, what does that do to like a little kid? Well, unfortunately, what it does is that, you know, just like I mentioned with Ian, lessons are being taught about what um, healthy male relationships look like. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. So now he and he does sort of form also to unhealthy relationships in different ways with, you know, the guys that he falls in with. But it's basically this dynamic of if I'm mad I'm allowed to express that by not just cursing or yelling at you, but by hitting you, tackling you, um, yeah. throwing you against a wall. Like these things are normal. So the the example that's being made for Stevie, someone that at the outset seems to be this very sort of kind, gentle person, that attitude is very different by the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's because of these sort of instances. Yes, they are. Okay, so we, we have a few things that happen um, coming up to the next big part. He, you know, a lot of stuff with that that big masculinity that we're going to be talking about in the second half. He's getting into dangerous situations and getting hurt, and you know, in order to, I don't know. Impress. To impress and all these different things. There is a scene with Ian and Stevie on the couch. And they're playing, I think, Super Nintendo or PlayStation, one of the two. And they're just playing, and Ian goes into his mom's backstory. And he, and he says, you didn't know who mom was before you were around. She was a lot different. Because so far, she's been portrayed pretty, just like this nice lady who is trying to date, you know? And he said at one point, you know, she had like a revolving door going on. Yeah. Uh, basically gave the, like, what you would stereotypically think was probably happening there. 
was used to happening for Ian. So that it kind of gives a, Ian a little bit of, there's probably some anger there. Um, but that's when you see Stevie say, fuck mom. Yep. And before that, Stevie was pretty okay with mom. Neutral to positive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that felt, yeah. I mean, that, that felt like a pretty clear influence of the guys that he's around now. Yeah. Just, yeah, right. absolutely. It's that influence keeps carrying over and, and it carries over to the next thing when they go to the party. Mm-hmm. And uh, first off, I want to say about the party is that that was the most realistic teenage party. Oh my God, 90s teenage party. Oh, yes. I couldn't believe it. There was only like 12 <laughs> people there. No, hardly a TV or, or electronic device in sight other yeah. than music. Yeah. There wasn't like, you know how they do in movies? There's like 400 teens in one room. Yeah. No, it was like a comfortable between what, 10 and 20? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was like, this is the most realistic part I've ever seen. But yeah. um, he starts drinking and smoking weed, and taking Adderall and doing all these yeah. things and mm-hmm. and uh, just escalating and doing, you know, following the influence of his friends. Yes. So I guess before we go on to the next part, I was going to ask you about influence. Sure. When do we say, OK, we're being influenced and there's a line where it's no longer a neutral or good influence. And now it's something you should get away from um, because, okay, he's smoking weed, but a lot of people smoke weed, right? I mean, um, not a lot of 13 year olds, but sure. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> but I mean, this got him in some weird situations. There's like a girl that's a few years older than him that they have a sexual experience and she basically puts it on him and he's just going with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause he's drunk and stuff. Um, yep. I just don't know where the line is and what you think about uh, how friends can influence kids. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, think about sort of like a general maturing for a teenager, right? Male or female. You know, the experiences that you have in childhood to adolescence that happen at different ages for everybody. So you asked me sort of when do we think think of it as a problem? Yeah. So it's interesting because of when these events are happening, which is like the summer, right? We don't have the typical markers that we'd be able to pay attention to where, oh, like Stevie's skipping a school or failing all his classes or I mean, either the stealing money is would it be a good signifier. So the things we kind of look at are how is their life being affected? You know, yeah. what are the consequences? So substance use would be a clear consequence breakdown of any relationships outside of the influencers. So other friends, other family members, obviously those relationships are changing. So that would be a concern. Any uh, illegal or uh, risky to life type behaviors that are happening. Yes, those are clearly happening. Yeah. You know, he breaks his head open trying to ollie a gap. In my, uh, um, <laughs> do you like how I, uh, I use, use this, the skating reference? Yes. You know, he, you know, obviously takes pills he's never taken before. They're not prescribed to him, all these sorts of things and steals money. But because we don't have the sort of like measurable things about his life for changing, like school, it's sort of harder to tell the extent to which this influences right. how dangerous it is. Like, obviously things that are happening that are certainly inappropriate for his age, I would say generally speaking, but they do happen at some age. So at what point do we kind of get really concerned? And I would say the the drug use at 13 is concerning for me. Very concerning. But you you know, we do have one, we do have one good influence, I think in the group. Mm -hmm. And that's Ray, the the best skateboarder. He, he, um, 
he's solid throughout. He's he's a really he just seems like a really nice, unjudgmental guy who wants to skate, you know. Yep. And he, after one of these big things that happened to Stevie, one of the things we've already talked about, they end up on a roof, and they have this conversation, and and Ray basically tells him, you know, that the partying thing is is dumb, you know. Like, yep. Uh, fuck shit's ruining his life, you know. He's telling him this story and he he wants him to know that he doesn't have to go that way uh, in order to fit in. So he tells him a really emotional story about himself, about his little brother died three years ago by getting hit by a car. Yeah. And then he said, and what helped me was fuck shit came and picked me up and made me go skating. And so that's now what we're going to do. And it was just like the the most powerful scene for me because then they skated all night and he stayed with him till the morning. Yeah. And it was just like, he had that one guy in the group that like didn't have really anything going on besides he he wanted to skateboard. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying that can, st- that can be a good influence, you know? Well, absolutely. So there's, there's a mix of influences happening and that's why I think it's important, you know, so but right before that scene, I believe is when his mom catches him basically being home drunk and high i think is sort of what happened right yeah and um she takes him to this to the skate shop and confronts the group and tells them that he's never to see them again blah 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 very typical parent intervention and i think because that's a typical parent intervention it also has the typical child reaction which is that stevie freaks out curses her out you know the whole like don't ever talk to me again all that kind of stuff which felt very different from his personality at that yeah. point than it was in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he was just this kid saying thank you and yes, sir. And, yeah, and yeah. Now he's screaming in his mom's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you were just saying there is that point when he goes home. And you hear he goes home and he's drunk and he gets caught. And you hear Ian saying in the background, and he does not say this in a aggressive way. He says to Stevie, you're fucking up. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're messing up, man. Don't do that. But they, Stevie confronts him and they end up in a fist fight. Do you know what happened to Ian here? Because he starts crying. I thought he got like his eye poked out, but that didn't happen. (laughs) In the scuffle? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was hard to tell um, because I think it, it felt like Stevie was fighting back, which is also a different part of their interaction. Yeah. And that, yeah, either either he got his eye poked or, or Stevie punched him back, which obviously he had never really done before. Yeah. Well, what happens after that is what I was just going to ask you about. I, I just don't even know where to begin on this stuff. And that is Stevie runs into his room and strangles himself with a controller cord. And I mean... It's it was terrifying to watch, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was heartbreaking and frightening, and it was he pulled this cord as hard as he could around his neck. I think just about until he almost passed out. Hmm. And I I assume that's like an escalating. I don't I don't know. Oh, absolutely. So this is, you know, especially in males, what we see with an escalation of self harm is that it tends to become uh, more dangerous, more lethal more scary, you know, more, more everything. So it's this escalation from, you know, scratching himself with a comb, you know, which might've left some red marks, but otherwise, you know, very little harm done to essentially asphyxiating himself, um, causing him to pass out, presumably to some extent. So that's really scary. And we, it's not entirely clear what exactly how, or what, how mom found out 
he was drunk or might have found and passed out with a rope around his neck. We don't see that discovery. But for a parent, you know, I think that's why I kind of understood her reaction. Because whatever she knew, she knew enough that this was a really scary reality for her, for her youngest son now. Yeah. She said, what's happening in my household? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, again, from a, a therapist standpoint, if a parent comes in and tells me that, you know, my 13-year-old patient has just been found essentially attempting to strangle himself, you know, again, this is a very serious thing that we have to take seriously. So we we have to have questions around what was your mindset when you did this? Did you plan this out? What did you want to happen? Um, Because we don't see a lot of or any we don't see any inner monologue when Stevie is about to or does these things. We don't really know what's happening for him emotionally in these moments, other than the fact that he's obviously mad or, or guilty or scared or something. Right. So it's a therapist's job in that position to really evaluate the the risk that they are to themselves yeah and if stevie can't um what we call contract for safety that he won't if he can't contract to not harm himself in that manner again you know let's say within the 24 hours or within you know until we meet again then we have to talk about hospitalization yeah realistically because yeah because this is a, a a child who's been shown to be impulsive, who's been shown to uh, be indulging in substances that are going to lower his uh, inhibitions and make him more likely to, to make these kinds of drastic actions. And he's at risk, basically. So it's it's there's a lot of reasons why Stevie's comes really close to being in a really serious situation. And he obviously ends up being in one. Yeah. And, and I guess last one here, just because we got to switch for the break. Yes. But just going on that further for people that do have self-harm tendencies, whether they're on the low scale to the high violence scale. Uh, I think you're just speaking about it a little bit, but there, I mean, is there a way to help people get over that urge to do that? Yes. So, and especially with kids, the, my most important job as I see it when I'm working with kids is really emotional awareness and emotional intelligence education. So for them to be able to identify what they're feeling in those moments. So as I said, we don't see um, Stevie's inner monologue when he's self-harming. But if in therapy we could get someone like Stevie to identify um, I'm mad or I'm scared or I'm guilty, whatever it is, if we can identify that emotion and sort of what his corresponding need is, if he's angry, are there outlets you know, he has skateboarding, he has other things, he has people, presumably he feels like he can talk to. But right, which not, which Ray tries to show him, you know, like yeah, skateboarding absolutely. can be an outlet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, basically taking what they do to cope with that emotion that they probably don't understand, increasing the understanding of the emotion, and then taking what they do to cope with that emotion and channeling it into, initially it might be like less destructive behaviors so you'll see sometimes people who self-harm you know we might we might do like a replacement attempt so switching from um, hitting themselves to wearing a rubber band and snapping a rubber band on their wrist Mm. or holding an ice cube which hurts but you know goes away after a while Um, so these sort of pseudo self-harm acts that are obviously not nearly as life-threatening And what we can sort of slowly move away from, I need to feel pain to just, I need to cope. Okay. Uh, 
we will get uh, to the rest of this one because we d- we want to talk about uh, male. What is it? <laughs> yeah, we want to talk about young male uh, ideals of masculinity. Yeah, yeah. from a masculinity and security. Yeah. So uh, we will be right back after we take this break. So, Mike, just quickly, you know, we, it brings us to the conclusion of mid '90s, which. You know, Stevie and the whole gang are at this big party behind the skate shop. And Ray uh, is starting to associate more with some older guys, some more mature guys, some guys who are not drinking in the middle of the day. The crew, yes, is upset. Yes, because they feel like their their guy is sort of abandoning them. So we see Stevie uh, drink and smoke a lot during the course of this party. And Ray even tries to kind of get him to kind of cut it out at one point yeah he even drinks like by himself in a bathroom yeah it's pretty uh stark <laughs> and then we have fuck shit who <laughs> observes <laughs> this sorry betrayal i know it's weird to hear it come out of my mouth i'm sure um yeah who observes this betrayal and is is really offended and and taken aback and then also responds similar to Stevie and just drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks. And then in an attempt to connect with Ray, you know, Ray kind of tells him to get out of here. Like you're making a fool out of yourself. Like you get out of here, basically, you know, that escalates to the point of fuck shit, driving everybody home from the party. And it's very clear that he's driving drunk. You hear honking horns and you can't, you don't really see why they're honking. It's almost like, oh my God, is he driving down a one, one way lane the wrong way? Like we don't know exactly how bad the driving is, but yeah. we have like these little clues. It was scary. They made it really scary. It was scary. scary. It absolutely yeah. was. And then we hear this, we see uh, fourth grades, just like a flash of his face and then a car basically sideways. Yeah, he said. He says, "Can you please pull up?" And then they're on their side. Yep. So, and then we have the sort of finale of the movie, which is Stevie in recovery in the hospital. He somehow is the only one with any serious injury, which I found hard to believe yeah, when a car is on its side. And and hold on, my big problem, like fuck shit, is there. Yeah. Why is he not in jail? It's a great question. Um. <laughs> I guess the they, ju- I guess the they just got crawled out of the car and like walked Stevie to the hospital. <laughs> we don't know. It's weird, but that's the 90s for you. So the mom shows up, sees this crew that she, you know, probably a week or two before forbid them from ever seeing her son again. And she sees them all asleep in the hospital waiting room and kind of reconciles with the fact that they do care about Stevie. Right. There's loyalty there. Yes. So she invites them in to the recovery room and that's just sort of the somewhat happy ending yeah well there's that one little thing that happens there is that ian was there too yes the older brother yes yeah and they shared their orange juice together mm-hmm. and it was just, just like once again ian loves his little brother very clearly and unconditionally but there's no sign that the beatings are going to stop well, that's interesting, right? Because Ian and Stevie have had this sort of progression of their relationship where Ian sees Stevie associating with this group of people now and starts to see him a little bit differently. So my hope is that that does change. But yeah, yeah so what we're going to talk about from a broader perspective is the good and bad of young masculinity and sort of what these boys think they're supposed to be like 
for lots of different reasons. So I want to start that conversation with actually a quote from Jonah Hill um, in some interviews that he did after this movie came out. And he said, young boys don't have the tools to communicate their sadness or pain. Anger is just sadness held in too long. And Mm. that's where we see, you know, these kids treating each other. You know, for me, a lot of the the interaction is like jokes and sarcasm. Sure. And and that's just uh, passive aggressiveness, right? So even that's anger. Yeah. So we have all these signs that these kids are experiencing different kinds of pain, but have no idea how to deal with that. I think that's just, you know, honestly, a really a powerful example of what it's like uh, to grow up as a young kid, young boy in America. I know it's like a really heavy thing, but I think uh, I was impressed with the sort of subtlety in which that was portrayed. Me too. It's, you get, you know, as a young guy, and I'm sure it's very similar for women as well, um, maybe ours are more aggressive. <laughs> I don't know, but as a young guy, you you do you find a group to latch onto and you latch on, and and it is set. Man, they set up the their group exactly the way it is. You know, there's there's the king, yep. right, and, mm-hmm. and then the second, and then the the minions, right, mm-hmm. uh, and they're all vying for um, like the king's attention yep. or something like that. Yeah, validation. And, and how this group of people seem to prove it to themselves is through pain um, or or aggression or any of these other things. They seem to have to do these things that are so extra yeah. in order to be proven male and worthy enough to be in the group. And one of the examples of that is the sort of cutting each other down for ambition that they have. And that's, I mean, I see that all the time. Hmm. That that's something that I saw amongst my friends as kids, and Jonah Hill talks about it. His experience, you know, when he, you know, this is this film's not autobiographical, but he does acknowledge that when he was a kid, he wanted to be a director. When he told his friends that, they would just make fun of it, like, "Yeah, right, you're going to be a director, okay." And they do the same thing to fourth grade. You know, he yeah. said he wants to be a director, and they're just kind of like, "Okay, you know, whatever." So that, you know, the, yeah. the gang, they support each other, but they also really hold each other back. What, like, what is that though? Like, why do these packs form? I mean, and that's like every pact, you know? Yeah. You go through a high school and you're going to see six boys standing in a circle talking to each other. Yep. Well, I think, you know, and there's a lot of things that, that contribute to that, but at the core, one of it is insecurity because... For all these boys who, as we talked about before, have all their own pain that they're going through, whether it's poverty or the loss of a brother or an alcoholic mom or the loss of a father, like they all have pain. So because of that, if it's it's hard to accept that they can still dream and, and want lofty goals for themselves. So if one of their friends has this goal of like, I want to be a movie director, if if someone else in your group is allowed to want that, that can be very threatening for you if you feel like you can't have those goals. Hmm. So if if I am a member of that group and I feel like, well, man, like my life is screwed up. I'm poor or I, you know, my dad's not around, you know, like I'm never going to get to to do what I want to do. So, and this is not a conscious thing, but like the, the self-defense mechanism is I have to cut that other person down both to make myself feel okay and to like, almost like reality check the thing yeah. that we're all aspiring to do. 
Yeah, you know, the, the other guy will say, hey, you know, I want to be a movie director. And before they give him the cutting remark, they get hit in the stomach real quick, you know? Yeah. There's almost that feeling like, oh, he's going to leave, you know? Sure. And then and then he, you know, the other sad thing is like, oh, yeah, I guess you guys are right. I guess I'll just go work with my dad at the DMV. And it's just like, oh, man, spirit crushed. Yeah. You know, it's so sad for me to see that because... You know, it's things like skateboarding and outlets and, and skill building that offer these kids, you know, the 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 shield against things like depression, anxiety and PTSD. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So you think that like those extracurricular things are actual it's like armor? A hundred percent because, you know, and there's a lot of layers to this. But, you know, when I have someone in my office who's dealing with depression or anxiety, it's often the case, and I'll ask questions like, what are your coping skills? What do you like to do for fun? And the typical answer is like, well, I used to X. I mm. used to skateboard. I used to snowboard. I used to, uh, you know, uh, hang out with my friends more. I used to play whatever sport. I used to do art. And the used to is such a clue to what life was like before they were depressed. And that's also a key to cracking open that that uh, possibility of positive experience because mm. if they can rebuild that skill they can see themselves as not just competent but uh worthy valuable being able to contribute something beyond themselves and i think that has such a positive value for people who are experiencing this self-doubt and insecurity that these boys are so clearly experiencing so what do you think of the scene when stevie they're on that roof at the school that we were talking about in the first half yeah. And uh, there's that big gap there, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Stevie can barely like even stand on a ski skateboard at yep. this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, he decides he's going to try to do this giant gap. Yep. And it, it's obvious he's not going to make it. And he just falls down a building. Yep. L lands on a lunch table. Yep. So what do you think about the fact that he did that, cracked his head open, and what he got from his friends was pure it was praise yeah you know they lifted him up you know oh mm -hmm. man you took a fall better than anyone i've seen and and uh i can't believe the balls that you had for trying that gap like rather than saying you should never do I that know. you know so i was really conflicted and, and exactly for the reasons that you you just said because it's this very adolescent view in praise of risk in praise of pain in praise of like survival under extreme circumstances. On one hand, it is this validating positive experience for Stevie that he feels this ultimate form of acceptance and he can take risks, even if it means that the risk of his own safety. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, man, what's he going to do next? What's the risk taking thing he's going to do next? And we see it. It's not skating, it's drugs and it's sexual encounters and it's uh, other you know risky interactions with his brother and his mom so that's an escalation that's part of you know what was rewarded was this right obviously risky behavior so it's it's a really fine line as someone who's worked with a lot of adolescent boys it's it's something that's scary for me but at the same time like and maybe you could too you said you're a skater like this is something i could relate to like me and my friends uh built ramps because yep. we were all obviously architects and had the know-how to do that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't skate like a short board. I had a long board that I would like cruise around in, but I couldn't do anything. 
but I did have this like little sort of BMX bike. So anytime we built ramps and stuff, I would just bike as fast as I could and fly off the ramp as fast as I could. Yes. And in theory, I was just like, yeah, I mean, it's a bike. Like it's, it's way riskier for me to do it on a skateboard. I don't know what I'm doing on a skateboard as if I knew how to ride off a ramp with a bicycle. <laughs> um, and one time I'll never forget the sort of like similar experience that Stevie had of just like staring at the biggest ramp we had ever built and just being like, yeah, like I'm just going to fly at this thing and see how far I can get off of it. Okay. This is very adolescent thinking. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but I just like, I was so confident on a bike that like, what's the worst that could happen? So I, you know, I'm biking as fast as I can. I hit the ramp. And I, I don't, I mean, my memory of it as a, as a, whatever I was like 14, 15 year old was that I was like higher than a car and like as far as the length of a car. <laughs> it was an entire football yeah. field. <laughs> but, you know, obviously I had never gone this high or far and I, I had my front wheel turned just enough that I hit that front wheel and immediately just flipped over it. Ooh. Um, but but here was the problem, Mike, is that I walked away from that terrible accident with like a small gash on my knee. Oh, no big deal. Exactly. No big deal. But if I had had a more serious injury, I would have been like, all right, no more ramp jumping for me. But instead, that behavior <laughs> was rewarded. And she was like, yeah, man, I'm a badass. Like, check out this gnarly scar. And yeah. it's and it's and it's <laughs> on one hand, like great that you can have a safe risk taking like those experiences are important for kids but it's also a, there's a line when it's crossed that it crosses into really dumb decisions right right bmxers and skateboarders would say well you know i didn't get anywhere without getting hurt i guess yeah um but what does this all say i think the the last scene of the movie really chucks up what i'm about to say and that's when they got into the car with fuck shit when he was drunk. Yeah. Now we talked before about how Ray was the leader of the pack and he was not into the partying stuff. And I mean, he's just a solid good dude and um, trying to keep the group together. Mm -hmm. uh, so fuck shit asked him to get in the car and he kind of knows he shouldn't. Yeah. But because of whatever is going on between dudes he has, he like, he can't back down from the invitation. And so they all get in and then they get into the accident. So I guess what I'm asking is, why do you think that, that guys have to build relationships this way where, where it has to be these one-ups and you know what I mean? And yeah. masking insecurities and all these kinds of things. Like why do guys have to have this kind of relationship when we're young? Cause I don't have any relationships like that now. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, it is this it comes back to me to like emotional intelligence that because young boys are not it's not modeled to them that they even can connect with people their age on an emotional level, that the only way that they can connect is through risk taking behavior and through mm -hmm. put downs and through humor. And some of that is OK, but it's it makes a turn in a lot of cases. And but, you know, I have to say, this is something that I have hope for. I do think that it's changing in certain places. You know, I, I look at things like comedy and I look at things like uh, professional athletes who are starting to be more open with their mental health issues. 
Which is awesome. Which is awesome. Um, one that I, I'm thinking of recently is um, the comedian Gary Goldman. His next stand-up special, what's going to be on HBO, is called The Great Depression. Oh. So I'm excited for that, and maybe we'll get to cover that. But it's like, you know, that wouldn't have happened in the 90s. People don't talk about depression, especially not men. So the fact that this is happening now, I think we can model not just for young men, but for teens and for preteens to be like, look, you can know yourself on an emotional level and it's okay and even encourage for you to connect with other boys on an emotional level. You know, things like instead of detention, now some schools are doing uh, mindfulness or yoga uh, practice, you know, stuff like that, I think has such a huge impact on we're not treating you your, your risk-taking behavior with punishment, right. but with self-control. But you would even have adults, even at this point, say, that's ridiculous. No one needs to do that. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm thinking earlier today, I was thinking about mental health and what it means and how it doesn't mean diagnosis and, you know, schizophrenia and all this kind of other things. Like mental health is just staying, you know, stress-free and with a clear mind and, and just being healthy. And those things help that, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a good solid block to stand on. And even today, like adults would, would make fun of that in a school. Yeah. Um, unfortunately it's, this is not like a widely accepted thing. That's absolutely true, but it's my hope that, and I think this starts with, you know, kids on a college level, probably where, you know, even when you and I were in college, like, did you know where the, uh, like the mental health services was when I was that age. Yeah, sure. I ha no. Right. No. Exactly. Yeah. So, but now, um, and I've had conversations with students, like they kind of get excited and are very grateful for the fact that it's like a, a focal point of college tours. It's like, and here is our mental services building or our, our whatever, you know, our, our, here's where you can chat with a social worker. So I have a lot of hope for that. And I think it's becoming more popular in high schools where it's not just a guidance counselor that you talk right. to if you're having a bad day, but there's a counselor or even a therapist um, that's there explicitly for that, not just for testing, but for, you know, hey, there's an emotional problem and this needs to be talked about in an appropriate way. Yeah, I mean, it's like, can't we just can't we just finally admit whether we're talking about uh, male insecurities with teenage boys or any of the things on the mental health spectrum, can we just admit that being a human is hard and sure. having a place to go when it's hard is a good thing? Mm -hmm. and um, that, so, yeah. so I'm glad it's getting better, but... I think so. I, I, even just this idea of sadness and pain are normal human experiences and in some ways need to be embraced instead of avoided and hidden. I think, you know... Terms like toxic masculinity get thrown around a lot today. And I think it's precisely because of this issue that we're talking about that pain and sadness are not normal things for men to express. Yeah. And it's even sad to think about even, even today, like the rate of like uh, men who are like open about mental health problems is a, a way lower percentage. Absolutely. So it's still like resonating, you know? Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of wrap things up in terms of my hope for what Stevie's and Ian's and all these kids future looks like is that, you know, they've had this pretty scary, hopefully wake up call of like, 
okay, we let things get a little out of control, you know, drunk driving, bad. Some of us have bigger aspirations, you know, uh, fourth grade shows his movie in the hospital. Yeah. And my and we don't see much of the reaction to that. But my hope is that his friends are like, man, like fourth grade, like, this is really cool. Yeah, like, you should do more stuff like this so yeah. that now that they're their individual qualities outside of the pain or sadness they're experiencing are acknowledged and validated and rewarded and that that it's a good thing to be aspiring to bigger things. Yeah. So boys and girls out there, you know, don't be afraid to God, just say chase your dreams, but like, <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, to, to approach things that you're interested in without fear, because I think, yeah. In this movie, it was skating. And if Stevie let himself be discouraged by not being able to do an ollie that first night, he never would have stuck with this group. Now, yeah. obviously, there's negatives to this group. But I think in the big picture, we're hoping that he becomes a better person and a better man because he has these sort of growth opportunities. Yep. Okay. It looks like we're going to have to finish up and jump into ratings for the day. Uh, I think this is going to be a fun one to rate. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened to the show before, every week we rate on the scale of one to five. Ryan rates on the scale of accuracy, and I rate on the critic scale. Ryan, uh, what did you think? Yeah. So out of five, uh, pop shove it, three sixties. Oh my god, that's a hard one. <laughs> Um, you know, I have to be honest, like as, as conflicted as I was about some of the things that were happening, just because I'm a therapist and I was worried about what would happen to this kid and this family. I think this is a really honest, really important portrayal of a, uh, young man grappling with having to mature too quickly. So from that perspective, I gave this movie a five out of five and I'm, I'm very happy to do that. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was raw. It was real. Good job, Jonah Hill. And I don't think we fully mentioned it, but Jonah Hill uh, wrote and directed this. Yes, kudos, Jonah. Okay, so I will go do my uh, critic skill rating, and I'm going to be using the uh, one to five hybrid moments. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, one to five last caresses. That's right, because they played the Misfits song "Last Caress." in it. it was, yes, that thank, was you for, my, thank you for clarifying that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was one of my favorite bands. Okay. You know, I've been thinking about this all day because this one gave me a lot of emotions when I watched it. And a lot of them weren't good emotions. Fear and all sorts of anxiety watching it as well. But overall, when I look back at it, I thought the directing was spot on thinking about like the drunk driving scene and like how scary that felt when he wasn't really showing anything, just uh, the actors, they, they they obviously picked like guys that could skateboard. Yeah. They were great. Um, but overall, the story, this gets a five. I would watch it again, and then I'd show it to another person. So yeah, it's a five. Very, very, very good movie. Definitely watch it. All right, that's all we have for today. Uh, make sure you stick around for Ryan's closing thoughts. But first, we need to thank Kevin McLeod for all the music that we use on the show. If you need royalty-free music, you can find him at Incapatech.com. And now for some closing thoughts on the 2018 movie Mid-90s. 
First of all, as we talked about in the episode, self-harming behaviors can present in a lot of different ways. If you notice behaviors like the ones mentioned in the episode in yourself or others, it's important to take these behaviors seriously. Occasional nail biting or other behaviors can be easy to minimize, but it's important to ask yourself what that behavior does for you or your loved one. This can be a vital opportunity to increase self-awareness and build healthier coping skills. As a parent, it can be hard to watch your child socialize with other children you don't know or don't trust. Stevie's mother tries to talk to him to get to know who they are, but then she resorts to forbidding him from seeing them once she sees how bad he has gotten. It can be hard for parents, especially single parents, to know everything their child is doing or who they are interacting with, but by taking an active role in their interests, you can find opportunities to build trusting relationships with their friends and validate their interests at the same time. Finally, we focused a lot on masculinity in this episode, but the maturation process for all adolescents is a crucial time for emotional development. Being able to talk to kids about how they are feeling and helping them develop their emotional awareness can go a long way towards helping them make healthy decisions. It can even help them build coping skills they need when they inevitably get into stressful situations. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at poppsych 101 We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych 101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych 101 is on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Ingolstadt. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.